morning, everybody. Was anyone else intimidated by the giant bass? <laughs> I'd seen him on TV before, and I was in life. It's like, damn, it's so big. <laughs> right. I love the addition. I love when we add um, different varieties of instruments and really showing the different ways that we can worship and honor the Lord. Um, we are going to be continuing our foundational series. Uh, we've been talking about some hard subjects. Uh, about a month ago, we talked about coveting, our attitude towards money uh, and possessions. We talked about anger, really our attitude towards other people and when they push our buttons. We talked about lust, um, a condition of our heart and seeking after it within God's, um, God's design and not our desires. We talked about forgiveness. Um, I really hoped that forgiveness would be an easier message after those three, and it wasn't. So I thought, okay, for sure this week we're going to do an easier message. So we'll talk about money. That'll be a lot easier. Um, but when I came across it, we were considering the ideas that are foundational and this idea of addressing our finances. And this is different, because um, I talked about a month ago with coveting. We're not talking about a message about giving or about tithing or about offerings or about sacrifices. We're all different messages. And so considering this one and wanting to bring some clarity here and some understanding here of what, what the tithe is, um, what it's not. The tithe is it's not a sacrifice. It's not a burnt offering, it's not a sin offering, it's not a guilt offering, it's not a peace offering. It's none of those things. It's not a gift either. And tithe is apart from all of these ideas. All those are all separate unto the Lord. Um, so I want to look at, okay, well, what then is the tithe? So we're going to look at what the law says about the tithe. We're going to look at the examples of what they walked this out within the New Testament and our New Testament example and how the church functions. And we're also going to look at how we can apply this in our world today. Because although we call ourselves a New Testament church, we're a New Testament church 2,000 years later. So we have to be able to apply it now. So first, what is the tithe? The most simplest form, the word means a tenth. We read out of Leviticus 27. It says, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It's holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of the herds and the flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good or bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. So all the tithe of the land, it belongs to God. It's his due. It's a realization that the people needed to have that all the all the increase, all the produce, everything that lives belongs to God. And he's allowing you to enjoy it. And he's saying, as a measure of that, you going, you're going to give me a portion back in recognition of this. And every two out of three years, you were supposed to bring all of that tithe into the central storehouse. Uh, the Deuteronomy 14, 22, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and the flock, and that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. So the place that he made his name dwell. Now these laws were written before they got into the promised land, so this wasn't a spot that was picked out yet that the people knew of. And it was in Shiloh for a long period of time, long before the temple, 
was there, and the tabernacle was still set up. And then eventually, when David came in and he conquered Jerusalem, then he moved that place to be Jerusalem, and then they built the temple eventually. And that's where it was all to be gathered. Central to all Israel, bring in all the tithe. But on the third year, they were supposed to do something different. Deuteronomy 14, 28. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. Basically, a tenth of everything is meant to be stored up year by year for everybody and everything that grows. And a really good question to ask after that is, why did they need to do that? What's the purpose behind this? Because God is a purposeful God. I have not yet found something in Scripture that he commanded people to do that there was not reason behind it. I keep looking. I have not found an exception. I encourage you to ask that question when you read your Bible. God, why this? Why them? And why them? Those are really important questions to ask. It gives you context, gives you understanding in what God's trying to say. Why was he requiring them to do this? And at the basic sense, in the most practical sense, it was to take care of a few different specific people. First of all, the Levites, which are set aside, set aside, set aside to the Lord. Their entire lives were meant to be completely dedicated to God and serving him. Now, they were, given, um, they were given a small portion to live in, but not much beyond that. Out of Numbers 18, verse 21, it says, To the Levites I've given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. Now, the Levites were, because they're supposed to be serving God, they're supposed to be representing the people to the Lord, they were spread out across the entirety of the land of Israel. They were given 48 cities, and their cities were at the center, and they were given a bit of land around it so they could keep any of the livestock that was there. It's 200 cubits square. And I thought, it would be helpful to know what that looks like, so we might have a register of why they couldn't take care of themselves and what they had. So this is Placerville. So here's Missouri Flat Road. We are right here, uh, Westside Church. Way up there, we have Smith Flat. This little yellow square... That's a 2,000 cubit square. That's where all the thousands of Levites were supposed to live in that region. And everything around that did not belong to them. It would have belonged to the tribe that owned that land. And so I thought about it. There were millions of these people. They had 48 cities. And even if there were only 200,000 Levites, when you spread that over 48, that's around... 3,000 people in that little square. That little square is that industrial area over there. That's it. And they're supposed to make their, they're supposed to live off of that. They had to be wholly reliant on God. Part of the tithe was meant to support these people doing God's work. They could not live off the allotment they were given. That's the whole point. Now, beyond those that are dedicated to the Lord, it's to help those that have no inheritance in the land. Now, this is a hard thing to fathom because everyone is meant to have an inheritance in the land. So who is this talking about? Out of Deuteronomy 26, 12, when you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, giving it to the Levites, they're part of this, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled. It's supposed to feed the people that are going to have an extremely hard time feeding themselves. 
If you want to have a greater amount of detail on that, if you go back to our messages about a year ago, we went through the whole book of Ruth. It's a four-part series. It really dives into the trials the widows would have faced at that time, just the absolute destitute they would have been in, just trying to survive and eat day by day. So it's meant to take care of them. And when we look at God's laws, they all form out of really two things. The first and primary thing is love your God first and foremost. There may be no one else you worship other than the Lord. This is primary. Secondary, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two things. That's the reason he puts forth rules. Either it's going to be about loving him or loving your neighbor, caring and taking care of people. God is truly about social justice, but not social justice as we hear about it today. It's been greatly skewed compared to what God's talking about. God's talking about making sure that everybody has the basics covered. Eating. Eating is so basic, and yet it's still a problem. It's still an issue. Even today, we're worried about people having enough to eat and people being clothed people being fed, people being clothed, people having community. This is what God's worried about. This is what his laws revolve around in their entirety of how we interact and support and care for each other so that the basics can be managed and the basics can be expected and that everybody in the community would contribute towards this. Now, before I get too far along here, there is something I want to clarify is that this is the law. And the law was written for Israel for this time, for them going into this land. You are not under the law. You are under the new covenant of grace in the blood of Jesus. That he came and died to set you free. He set you free from the law of sin. That's what they refer to this as. You are now under the law of grace. So that means we need to look at his word. We don't disregard his word. We don't say, well, I'm not under the law anymore, so I'm just going to stick to every, just the things that Jesus said, and that's all I'm going to pay attention to. No, everything that he talks about is based on the law and the heart of it, the intent of it from the beginning. We can actually connect every single thing Jesus says. And so we have to look at this and say, Lord, what truth am I meant to bring out of this, to take out of this, to own in my life today? Which brings me to a passage that's been misused a lot. And I want to give some contextualization. It, uh, you may have heard the term a prosperity gospel. And so I'm going to read this. I'm going to explain. Out of Malachi 3, verses 7 through 12. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say... How shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of 
hosts. It's a beautiful verse, and it's written specifically to the Israelites because they were breaking the covenant and the agreement laid down in Deuteronomy 28, where it says, if you listen to these laws in the land that I'm going to be giving you, you will be blessed in all of these ways. Your land will produce There will be no barren among you. Everything will be good. You will lend and never borrow, and you will be a blessing to all the earth. And if you don't, then basically the opposite. You will have a curse upon you and your whole land. And this is the reminder. This is the callback to this people. You're not following. Now, the abuse has happened is when people have taken this, they've taken it out of context, and they said, hey, look at your life. Are things not going well for you? It's because you're not tithing. But if you tithe 10% to this church, then God's blessing will rain down upon you. Bountiful blessing beyond compare. But you better be tithing. Otherwise, you're not getting that blessing. And that's an abuse. It's abuse of the word of God. It's abuse of God's people. That doesn't mean we discard the truth within this doesn't read we disregard what's being said here, what the eternal truth found within that he expects us to look at within every passage of Scripture. And what's God saying here? What are the eternal truths? And first and foremost, God expects your obedience. You are under the law of grace, which means you get to have an individual relationship with God Almighty. And he's going to speak to you, and he's going to be with you, and he's going to guide you. And when he does you have to listen. You are expected to listen because God Almighty is the one who's talking to you. There's going to be a lot in here that I'm not going to tell you to do. I am not going to tell you to do it. You need to listen to the Lord. You need to listen to His guidance and His wisdom and His instruction, and you need to be obedient unto His word. God expects obedience. And giving is an important part of our worship. Is that always funds? No. To be a generous person is a part of worship. It's reflecting the character of God. It's showing that you represent Him. It's generosity in the things you do and the things you say in your demeanor. Sometimes it involves finances, but not always. But it's an important part of our worship. And God also instills this law of sowing and reaping. What you sow, that's what you will reap. If you sow apple seeds, you will not reap oranges. Now, I'm not going to say, hey, if you sow money, you will reap money. It doesn't work that way. But if you sow generosity, you will reap generosity. If you sow kindness, you will reap kindness. If you sow faithfulness unto the Lord, you will reap faithfulness back. When he says, test me, test the Lord. Put your faith in God and see if he will not come through every single time. It will not necessarily look the way you want. It won't be, hey, I'm getting an extra paycheck. Hey, I'm getting, a, I'm getting a promotion or I'm getting a bonus. It might not be that, which is we want to pigeonhole God. But God will be faithful and he will come through and you will find yourself blessed in ways that you can't imagine. But he expects you to put your faith in him, not our faith in our things, in our finances, in all, those around us. He wants us to put our faith in Him. So what do we see the New Testament churches doing? How are they walking this out? How are they walking out these truths? And I found three different passages I want to look at. Out of Acts 2, 
verses 45 through 47, it says, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In Acts 4, it says, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands of houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. If you pay close attention, there's a problem within this passage. Barnabas is a Levite. Why was he owning a field? First Corinthians 16, one through three. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as you may prosper. So that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Now again, three passages that I could abuse terribly. <laughs> I really could. I could say, hey, you're supposed to sell all your stuff. Homes, land, anything extra, just, just all of it. Just wipe it all out and lay it at the apostles' feet. And we'll distribute it as any has need. And again, that would be an abuse. That's not the heart of what's being said here. This isn't prescriptive, it's descriptive. It's describing what they did. And why they did it is the more important part. As any had need. There was no needy among them. Why were they collecting in that last verse? They were collecting because there was famine going on in Jerusalem. They were collecting as those had need. They were storing up things in the storehouse so people were fed, people were clothed, people were cared for. What do we learn from that? All of us need to be concerned about helping those that have need, helping one another, loving one another, caring for one another, checking on one another. We need to gather and we need to set something aside for when hard times come because surprise, surprise, hard times come. The end of the passage we've been talking about every year, when the rains come, when the winds blow, when the waters rise. Not if, it's when. And being able to entrust it. When God says, bring the funds, give them to me, well, you're going to be giving them to somebody. You need to be able to trust who you're giving them to. And so we just, we talked about that. We recently went through 101. We talked about this attitude of giving. And you need to trust the leadership of wherever you're at. If this is not the place, if you're still looking in, please continue to ask good questions. But wherever you're at, you have to be able to trust the people who are there to handle it. Because if you're giving here, you're entrusting the leadership to handle that money. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Money is a huge deal. It is talked about so much in Scripture. It's representative of a major portion of your lives. A third of your life, at least, is dedicated towards making money. It's representative of your time. A third of your whole life. It needs to be taken seriously. It needs to be handled well. We, need, we are entrusted not only by God with it, not us, but you. You were given money. God's entrusting you with it to first place to handle it well. 
And then when you give it back to him, you have to trust who you're giving that over to. And so I want to want to clarify that, that we do take that very seriously. Every dollar that's spent here, we take seriously. Somebody has faithfully given this unto the Lord, and we're not going to spend it frivolously. And so I do want to make sure, I'm going to go into that a little bit more in a few minutes, that we don't miss the big major point of all of this, that this isn't just about following another rule that God's laid forth that he says for your best. It's not just about following a rule. Out of Luke 11:42, it says, woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb. They would literally count every tenth leaf and snip it off. It's ridiculous. <laughs> there it is. And neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You were freed from the law not to just return to it. You are freed from a life of rules and stepping forward day by day robotically in a measure of just, I'm going to do this because it's the right thing. I'm going to do this because it's the right thing. I'm going to do this because it's the right thing. God has called you to him to know his heart. You are not called to return to the law, to living a life of rote actions. But we consider step by step what we're doing and why we're doing it and unto the Lord. It's not about recognition. We should never be asking the question, what do I get out of this? I better be getting some praise or I better be getting some possessions. I want those windows of heaven opened up and I better be feeling this, Lord. Otherwise, it's not, I don't think this back and forth is going to work for me. Matthew 6, 1 through 2, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, and that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Our, our eyes are meant to be on the eternal. That's really hard to do because we're here right now. We're here right now. The things of right now are pressing. They are in our face. They are something we're always going to have to deal with within our heart, making sure that they don't possess us. It's going to be a struggle. I can't, I, I can't say anything less than that. We're going to have to have a healthy balance here of what we're doing unto the Lord. Simply we're doing it as unto the Lord. It's an act of faith. It's an act of putting your faith in Him. It's an attitude of the heart. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8 says, The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. This is ultimately going to be between you and God. I'm not going to give you a percent. I'm not going to give you a number. I'm never going to check on you. We track how much people give because we send that number back to you so you can report it on your taxes. In countries where they don't have to, they don't get any tax benefit, they don't even track who gives what. It's just people gave. It was great. Praise God. The point of tracking everything isn't to keep keeping tabs on who's giving and who's not. That's between you and God. 
And that's always going to be between you and the Lord. You have to go before him. You have to say, Lord, what do you have for me? And he responds, you have to consider why you're going to do this. Are you going to do this out of an expression of love and trust or simply because, well, I've got to follow the rule? It's an attitude of the heart. And we need to have a deep realization that God does not need your money. Not a single dime. God is the creator of all things. If he wants anything, he will just create it. He has no need of anything from us. When we consider that, when we hold that to be true, we have to realize when he gives us instructions, those instructions are for our benefit. Out of Psalm 57 through 15, it says, Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt earth offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all the moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. The one thing that God gets out of this when he asks us to do things is his glory. God does not share glory. He is to be glorified. That is part of our life and we do this through worship of him, through the different things that he has called us to. Responding is an acknowledgement of our place in God's ordered world. And so I want to return back to ending with a really honest question. How are things handled here? I want to be able to extend my faith towards the Lord, but I need to make sure where it's going is going to be handled well, that they're going to treat it well, that they're going to treat it as it's under the Lord and not just something to for men to spend frivolously. And so at the beginning of every year, usually February or March's leadership meeting, I'll do a, an annual report that goes over the finances and really depends on how busy the beginning of the year was. Um, and I go over it at the end of 101. I just added this portion in because I think it's important. I think it's to be honest. I think it's important to be open with what about what goes on so people realize. Um, Similarly, we have a little bit of difference in context as they did in first century because they had the Levites running the temple. I am not a Levite. Chuck is not a Levite. Ty is not a Levite. Chris is not a Levite. But we still have to run this place. So there's actually a bit of cost that go into administration and into staffing. Depending on the year, depending on how many things break, that goes between 70 to 80% of our cost is just administrative keeps the lights on, keeps the air cool or hot, keeps the water flowing. It replaces the giant AC units, which we have many of. And this is an old, old campus, and it takes a lot of care, and we try to take good care of the things that God's given us. And so that's anywhere between 70 and 80% of what comes in goes towards those two things. We have 
four people that are full-time on staff and about 10 part-time staff members that they vary from 10 hours a week to 30 hours a week. They're jobs that need some very focused, consistent attention week by week, and some of them need a very specific amount of skill. Almost none of our physicians, can we pay them what they're worth? We tell them that ahead of time. That's actually one of my personal goals as being over finances here is to get people to be able to be paid for what they're worth. I would love to be able to do that. I'd love to be able to honor people for their value. Just not in that spot yet. And that is in no way a, hey, you need to tithe more sort of statement. We are fine. I just want people to be aware of as those costs increase, there's reasons why. We want to be able to pay people what they're worth for the value they're bringing to the jobs they're doing here. Everyone that works here gives 100%. That's not why they're doing it. It's simply a way that I want to honor them. 10 to 15% goes towards ministries, things like benevolence, high school, junior high, marriage ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry, etc. If it has the name ministry on the end of it. 10 to 15% we set aside regularly to go towards different events, different things they do, um, to feed the junior hires week by week. If you feed them... They will come. <laughs> and then in 10 to 15% goes outwards. Things that don't directly affect this church, but still model the same behavior of what we get in, we give a portion out. We give a portion as unto the Lord. Things that go towards our community organizations, things that are doing the good works that we're not just going to reinvent. It's already here in our area. New Beginnings, which is a prison ministry, Hope House, um, which helps women in difficult situations, PCS, which is Pregnancy Counseling Services, and The Upper Room, which feeds those that need to be fed. So we regularly support these every single month. We support translocal ministries. Um, the apostolic is the word we usually use. Um, ministry work, people going outwards, visiting other churches, building in, planting new churches, um, supporting new and struggling churches as they as they are, and then things like when we send people out to Mexico, we like to be able to send a gift down there to help with whatever it is they're doing. I've talked to some people recently. I love that we're able to do ministry work, but I want to make sure that we can send a lasting deposit. Uh, we've heard from other people that have had that have planted churches, and it's actually been really hard because planting churches is really hard. And somebody comes to visit for a little while, and it's just this wonderful time and this brief moment. It's a, a couple days or a week, and they described it as being in a hole with a cover on it. And someone opens the hole and you have the ray of sunlight for a little bit and it's beautiful and then they go, you're doing great! And then they leave because they come back home and they put the cover back on the hole. And so I like for when we go that we can leave some sort of lasting deposit that carries beyond us being there. So generally with Mexico, we've been helping building their buildings and we've helped with building some of the homes and things like that as we go out. That all takes, that all takes funds. And any sort of surplus, anything at the end of the year, we actually more of look at it quarterly when things have built up a little bit. We set aside simply in the storehouse function for when there is need. I, don't, I hope I'm not too prophetic in this, but I've gotten year by year that there will be a need to feed people. And so we regularly set aside money for when that time, I hope it doesn't happen in my lifetime that we're dealing with famine, but I feel that that time will come. So we regularly set money aside so that there is food in God's house. Amen. That's what we do with the funds here. And so each one of us have to go through, we have to measure, can we, can we trust the leadership here? And are we going to trust the Lord in what we do? 
and we each one of us have to go before God for it. Out of Psalm 25, 4 through 5, it says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you, you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Amen.